talk about revolution That's going a little bit too far So love me, love me, love me I'm a liberal A Jewish guy won a bar fight, it's news everywhere Hello, and welcome back to another episode of More Like the Worst Wing. Uh, apologies for the recording delay. We decided to take a week off, then Thanksgiving came up, and we decided to take that week off too because <laughs> of Thanksgiving. And so here we are, back again, to take another look at Aaron Sorkin's seminal work, The West Wing, from a modern-day 2020 leftist perspective. I am Dave. And I am still Stu. And we are still here, and now we are talking about the episode entitled Red Havens on Fire, which gets name-dropped pretty significantly toward the end of the episode. But before we get there, the main arc of this episode concerns the follow-up from the Kundu plotline that we have been developing over the last few episodes, where at this point now, troops are in Kundu, they had quote-unquote secured the airport, then three Marines were caught unaware by 50 Kundu <laughs> National Army troops who They came out them. of nowhere. Right, exactly. They came out of nowhere. You know, we, we had the airport totally secure, sir. But, uh, oops. So <laughs> these three men are still being held hostage, and, you know, the president is in the sit room when we start the episode, like, dealing with it. Um, or actually, I think we have a cold open with something else. I don't know. It's, it's hard to remember. Anyway, we start out in the sit room and they're tossing around options and presidents like, uh, they, they get a photograph showing that they've been beaten, uh, visibly beaten. Uh, and it goes across like the media and everything. And we see a couple characters like see it on TV and react to it and like, Oh, oh my God. And, um, the okay so they start presenting options to the president of like okay what do we how do we get them out and um and so they they start presenting options and they present one where it's like okay we send in whatever the equivalent of seal team six is you know they do their thing they get them out uh we estimate chance of uh success <laughs> is uh 70.3 percent three three repeating of course yeah. <laughs> it's, it's like where did like, you pull that it's, where'd it's, you pull that number it'll work 70 percent of the time if we send in the you know the helicopters like i, I just love that they have to make up numbers for this it's like completely unknowable thing that you couldn't possibly quantify well and also he the the first thing that really strikes me in this whole situation is that president bartlett i think we the first thing he says is he's carping about who the the soldiers are that got kidnapped it's like well this one is a 27 year old you know second lieutenant or whatever and he's got a uh -huh. wife and a kid uh -huh, and sort of thing uh -huh. and then he says like man why couldn't we get i can't even remember what he says but it's like why couldn't we get like the the doddering 65 year olds kidnapped it's like what what the Everyone fuck? in the military is young, Mr. President. And, Do you not understand this? We and, put a pretty uh, low top age limit on the military. I think it's like 40-something. Like, you're not going to catch a break because you invaded another country. Oh, yeah. Also that. Like, like this is all... All of the fallout and repercussions of this are because you chose to intervene. Now, you could... Now, you could... Pat, in theory, you're supposed to be able to pat yourself on your back, though, and go, but we stopped a genocide. So it was worth it, but, like, he doesn't want to handle that both sides of it kind of thing. He just wants the good stuff. Well, also, in, in this episode, at least, we do not hear anything more about the genocide. 
No, so like zip zero. What what has happened here is like okay, so the show has taken this you know step of interventionism in their fake world and had it occur and it is now in place, but we don't hear anything about, about the, the initial results. transgression. Mm-hmm. And like frankly, and now it, and now it's just about the fact that American troops are in peril. Well, and, and, and that's frankly, all that matters. Like, okay, so we took the airport. I guess if they can't land planes, they can't go around with machetes hacking people's limbs off. So, yeah. you know, problem no, solved. Presumably the, don't worry, every troop on the ground is doing an immaculate job of stopping it. And it just, <laughs> st- it just stopped overnight. Like, that's how easy that is, actually. <laughs> yeah, we, we activated 11,000 regiments, and now every Kundanese person has a personal genocide preventer. Yeah, yeah personal, personal <laughs> escort. Just a Marine follows them around <laughs> all, all day, all night. Uh, <laughs> so, so he approves the 70% chance plan to uh, exfiltrate the men out of whatever bunker they're being kept in. And uh, can you give me the clip here of uh, Task Force Dawn is, is go. Task Force Dawn Sky. Go. Go. It's a go. This task force is a go. Dot Sky is in operation. It's straight out like <laughs> Call of Duty dialogue right yep. there. Like, <laughs> like we get a lot of military oorah kind of shit in this episode. So then, then in a in an odd choice, we get the families of these kidnapped soldiers are brought to the White House, and Mr. You know Bartlett has to go meet with them uh, to express like his sympathies, I guess. And but due due the fact that they're taking action to try to rescue them, and it's all like top secret classified. Although, who in the fuck are all these three families going to tell? Well, but the, like, I I guess like it just. And, you know, you're always like, God believe. forbid, like one of them is like a Russian traitor, I yeah. guess, or something, you know, like the little the daughters of Vladimir Putin, KGB operative. <laughs> the, the little girl like sprints to a payphone and, and calls it's just like tapping something out on her wrist. Incoming American attack. Um, so yeah, so because of the fact that classified shit's going down, he can't really tell them anything or answer any of their basic questions at all about the status of their, their loved ones. Uh, and he can only really express like the barest of sympathies. And it's really, it's like, well then why even bother doing it if you can't tell them shit? (laughs) You can't even tell them if there, if there's a plan in place, you could just be like, don't worry we have a plan, it's underway to try to save your boys. I cannot give you details, but I can tell you that a plan's underway. You know, you can't even say that much. Yeah, and, like, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't help that another thing that characterizes him in, while he's doing these things is that they kind of lean back into the uh, Bartlett doesn't do military shit with this right. incredible force. Oh, my God piece of shit where they're just like he they mentioned that they're attaching a cia wet team to to, to task force dawn yeah. yeah and he's like why well why would we have a wet team their kundu isn't near water <laughs> jesus christ you, mr president are we supposed to believe you've never heard the phrase wet works what with your love of like classic spy films and war movies and whatnot 
<sighs> he doesn't understand the phrase or the concept of what works. Yeah, like, what the fuck to bring that back? Like, it's weird to, that they want to have the arc of showing him getting, like, better at military, and then they just take it all back. Yeah, and... It, it's, For a dumb comedy moment, like is it even comedy? It's no, it's stupid. It's, well, it's. I, I mean, think it's audience clarification, right? For the idiots in the audience who don't understand what 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 means. Yeah, certainly. Well, and frankly, they like. I don't know. Well, it's it weird feels... to have the president do that. You should have like some some extra who's like a junior grade lieutenant who's monitoring the sit room go like oh, what speak up and say it's like what <laughs> or well, something like that. And it's it's just not the president. It, it very much feels like the writers are like, we've got this cool vocab lingo that we can throw in here. And right. I bet those plebs out there watching don't fucking have any idea what it so means. So we'll explain it to them. Yeah. Uh, uh, <laughs> it's just so awkward and out of place. So then, so the, the mission succeeds. They get the three boys back. They're flying them back. And yay, high fives, claps all around. It's like NASA when something lands successfully, you know, in the sit room. Uh, and then not five seconds go by <laughs> because, of course, in West Wing universe, our characters cannot have a clean, easy win. Not So not five seconds go by before, hang on, there's been a massive explosion at the base where we were training the guys who were going to go do the rescue mission. Uh, and 17 dudes are dead. <laughs> so, it's, it's and, just, and this is where we get our Red Haven's on fire title drop, like, three f times in rapid fire. Yeah, because Red Haven is the name of the base. And it's, like, this has been, I feel like this show has done this before, where it's like, oh, well, we tried this thing, but they struck back at us, and so we're net negative on, right. like, the, the lives lost. Over. But also, it's just, it seems... It's too convenient and for... Way, uh, way too... And it's way too coordinated. It's like five seconds after they get rescued. Well, and it's... Um, I don't... I, well, and so, the, the funny uh, what thing happens, is... What happens is a suicide bombing. They, yeah, they yeah. drive up trucks filled with C4 uh, into this base and detonate them. Kills like 17 people, 20 people wounded, that kind of thing. So in rescuing the three men, seven, you know, 17 people died and 20 more were wounded. Well, and I'm not... So, like, go ahead. It's, I'm not, I'm not necessarily trying to even like nitpick like the, the timing of it because frankly, they also spend script time being like, this is taking too long. So mm -hmm. at, like, even if the suicide bombers were like, holy shit, those helicopters just took off. Now's our chance. Right. Okay. It's like, fair enough. It's like, what the, what the fuck's going on? But it's also somehow, I don't know where Kundu fictionally is. But somehow we're supposed I assume to, somewhere near the Congo-ish. Yeah, but somehow we're, like, we're supposed to think that there's like coordination between the Kundanese and what? Partisans? Like living in the fucking yeah, hills in like, Ghana? I have no I have no idea. I have no fucking idea. Ghana is It no just thanks. happens because they need it to happen. So that so that it can't just be a clean win. Because again, they never get a clean win on the show unless it's an election. Well, and again, this is me just going after their actual knowledge base because they could have just made up another fucking fictional place for this to take place in. But nope, they're going to have this happen in Ghana, which frankly is one of the least militarized and most quote unquote developed by the IMF standards countries mm -hmm. in Africa. It's not just like 
Africa isn't just like the darkest continent, you motherfuckers. Like, <laughs> speaking of which, let's take a quick break to not break, but pause to remark on the one old white lady who's one of the family members. Yes, who is shocked, shocked to find out that Kundu has television. <laughs> It's like, it's like, yeah, their hostage tape was broadcast all over Kundu t- TV. It's like, they, they have TV. <laughs> <laughs> hey, what's that you say, Sonny? <laughs> I, it, it, this one, and this woman is the worst. There's three of them. It's She's like, awful. They're, they're, she they're, accuses the whole administration of being like draft dodgers. And then Leah has to be like, I was in Vietnam, actually. And she goes, I, I apologize. <laughs> <laughs> and... <laughs> I, I don't understand. She's the, awful. And I don't understand the um, the function of having her be that way. Other than like, and actually, I will give the show props that this is actually a pretty accurate representation of, I don't know, some this kind of 63-year-old white lady from Indiana or whatever. Yeah. Like, okay. Who just, yeah, who doesn't know shit about shit, but thinks thinks she does. But it just doesn't uh, serve any point. Like, well, that, I, why? So what happens is uh, she's also the one to push the point of once they come in with the good news of like, don't worry, your boys are safe. They're all on their way back to base. You know, you'll see them tomorrow kind of thing. She's the one who forces the point of like, Leo, what aren't you telling us? You're not telling us something, Leo. And then Leo has to be like, okay, uh, in retaliation for saving your boys, 17 people got killed. All right, peace. <laughs> we're we're going to flip the switch from I can't tell you that to here's all the details of what just happened before they hit any of the press wires. Enjoy. Right. right. So, by the way, here's the human cost of lives <sighs> of rescuing your family members. Peace out, bitches. <laughs> and Leo's just arbitrarily like, nope, I will elect to give you all the details about how we stepped all over on our own dicks this whole just time. Like, you don't have to tell them that part. <laughs> I know she was like pushing you on it. Like, first off, why is she pushing him on it? And but second of all, just don't tell them that part. Sure they'll find out eventually through like the news and maybe in their head they'll be like, oh, that was probably because they rescued our boy or whatever, but you don't have to like tell them right now. One too many lawn darts over the jungle, Leo. Let's, uh... <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so, <laughs> so then, so that's how it ends with, and then just more escalation and, and Bartlett's ordering like more troops in there. Now we've got like a war, another war in Africa, uh, a Bruin basically. Yep. And it's again, just sort of completely not a factual, but like it's this weird hybrid between fantasy universe and like real reality and trying to like base it in something that people know about, which is just, mm-hmm. it's, it drives me crazy. It's the writers. They, they get the worst of both worlds. Yeah, exactly. They should have either gone pure fantasy or pure reality because this awkward half mixing of it just doesn't work. And you can smell the writers being like, Oh, we're smarter than you motherfucker. Like, let me tell you about yeah. blah, blah, blah. Ugh, yeah, the worst. a lot of that energy dripping off of this episode. Okay, let's take a quick break, and then we'll come back and we will discuss the stuff that happens out in California. Trying to make a date with a neighbor's wife. Brother, let me tell you just to show you're born. You better leave that woman alone. Go tell that lonesome liar. Go tell that midnight rider. Tell the gamble and the rambling backslider.
And welcome back. Uh, so out in California, Sam's race is wrapping up, and he's not going to win. Um, there's no there's no miracle that's going to happen or anything like that. But before we get to the end of that, first Amy is there, and she's talking about his financials, you know, being out of whack and something like that. But then a- Amy's true purpose in this episode is to be hanging around when the first lady is there uh, and needs to get bailed out of a awkward social moment where a reporter who's been critical of her is coming up to talk to her. And so she's next to Amy and she's like, Amy, get rid of this reporter, you know, do something. And Amy (laughs) just fucking like savagely owns the shit out of her over and over (laughs) until the reporter lady just like has to fuck off and leave. And it's glorious. And then Mrs. Bartlett is like, no, I meant just, like, whisper something in my ear and take me to the other side of the room. Uh, you didn't have to do that. And he was like, whoops. Whoops, guess I'm, I'm, I'm just Oops. too good at guess, my job. Guess I'm too awesome. Yeah. And then Mrs. Bartlett is instantly impressed, and because she is having some conflict this episode with Josh uh, regarding her chief of staff, who is currently her nephew nepotism literal nepotism (laughs) literal nepotism uh and he's super incompetent and josh is basically like i stole 12 million dollars that you wanted earmarked for this sort of child care childhood health care thing uh because your chief of staff sucks and i wanted it and i traded it for something (laughs) and he's just like a real smug shit to her which is like kind of awesome and kind of like Josh, what are you doing? You're just begging for it, Josh. Literally, right. just like we know what's going to happen. You're begging for your comeuppance, and yeah. so and this is how it comes via Amy. So by impressing Mrs. Bartlett at this uh, luncheon or wherever they are, she's instantly hired as Mrs. Bartlett's chief of staff, and instantly goes to get that twelve million dollars back by fucking Josh over, yeah. and so. And by, in the best part, she does it by fucking him over in a way that only she would know about, that he sk- he doesn't proofread shit. Like, he proofreads it for typos, but he doesn't proofread it to see if the content has been changed. And so she just sneaks a change into something that way, and, uh, and gets her 12 million back before he can, like, do anything about it. And then, like, sends him a fax of, like, P.S., P.S., bitch, I owned you. <laughs> so there's this actually the really decently written interaction with another just random staffer in the white house who comes up and he's just like who so so who the hell are you and she's like my name's hi i've worked here for two years yeah my name's Lindsay. i've been here for two years you asshole yeah (laughs) and then he goes hi nice to meet you and he's like i don't did i proofread this and donna says like yeah but you proofread it to make sure that capital was spelled correctly not so much for (laughs) content and he's just kind of being like oh um um, and then he tries getting mad at this random staff or whatever. And she's just like, well, like, I don't work for you. So fuck off. <laughs> yeah. It, so- it sounds like it was your fuck up actually. Yeah. <laughs> and she correctly nails him on that. And so Josh totally ends up eating shit, uh, and gets owned by Amy. And I'm just in, in, in approval of this entire arc of Amy. It was the only good thing about this episode. Yeah. The one thing that I didn't. I guess I didn't understand, and I, I briefly remarked on this. There's this at the beginning of this luncheon that they're at. Um, Amy like 
tips over a candle on the table and sets yeah. a bunch of napkins on fire. Yeah, and just like as a mini comedy bit of like having to put out a, a small fire at like a fancy luncheon. And it's just for no reason. I guess that they were like, uh, if we just film this first lady talking, that's boring. You need to, it feels like the Futurama episode with Zoidberg's uh, uncle, who's like, and you extras in the background, run around and throw a pie, <laughs> you know? And this is a talkie, damn it. <laughs> well, the, and like kind of the, to me, the deeper read is that it's like Amy or Sorkin feels like Amy can't be as sympathetic or like as kind of a natural Relatable. as she is and so therefore needs to like be like oh well ha- gosh she's this flaw. incredibly beautiful incredibly talented woman but oh look at that oh she's so clumsy <laughs> yeah it's like the st- it's like twilight you know like oh bella's perfect and beautiful and wanted by everyone but she's clumsy <laughs> D- see she's a balanced character and not a mary sue <laughs> yeah because aside from that, Amy is like is uber competent at everything, which is why they kind of have to use her sparingly. Well, yeah, and I mean, surprise, surprise, Aaron Sorkin starts being intimidated by f- fictional people <laughs> of his own creation. Yeah, <laughs> uh, it, it works good that they send her in opposition to Josh here as a as sort of an ant a friendly antagonist, where you know they're both per- on the same side, so to speak, but uh, now have conflicting agendas. Yeah, and it's really nice because they've evolved, they managed to evolve that role from being like an actual foil to each other mm-hmm. while they were in their relationship to sort of like a, just kind of like a, a cutesy, like, <laughs> well, if you were better at your job type of yeah, foil. Yeah, like professional rivalry yeah. kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, so it works It works nicely, and it's a dynamic I'm excited to explore if they if they keep up with it. I forget if they do or not. I forget if we see her anymore. But we'll, we'll, we'll certainly find out. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but yeah, and that mostly wraps this stuff up. And then, you know, Toby and Sam have a bit at the end of the episode where it's like, oh, Sam, you're going to get crushed, you know, but first Sam has this bizarre thing where he's like, Toby, what the fuck are we doing? You just have me preaching to the choir. I'm going out and talking to like labor people and hardcore Democrats and people who are, who are going to vote for us. What the fuck am I doing? And it's like, and Toby's like, you have to make sure that they don't stay home, that they actually go vote for you. You have to turn out your base, Sam. And Sam's like, no, I need to go after the swing voters. Like <laughs> like a fucking idiot. Like a fucking idiot. Not and it's a special election. Toby cor- yeah. Toby correctly understands that the entire name of the game is base turnout. And uh, it also understands that Sam is going to lose. He's going to get crushed. Uh, it's not even going to be close. But so first off, Sam shouldn't even be arguing about like strategy to pursue because there's no strategy that's going to win, apparently. Well, and also, I mean, it's cute because Toby's just like, yeah, you know, when you're getting stoned next week, I wanted to be standing next to you. And it's like, okay, yeah, they have a sweet little like, you know, moment of like, uh, you know, fatherly son or brotherly love or whatever you want to call it of like, I'm here for you. But but yeah, it's just like, why is Sam being so stupid about this kind of thing? He's supposed <laughs> to be pretty smart. Well, and and again, in the past, he's been the one who has these flights of passion. 
Right, and who understands to stick up for what you believe in, and here Toby has to tell him that it's better if he goes out swinging, sticking up for what he believes in. Yep. Whereas Sam's ready to be like, I'll sell out. I'll sell out for (laughs) any swing voter that'll vote for me. The Chamber of Commerce? Sure. Yeah, which is weird, because, like, literally last episode, he was the other... Uh, the inconsistency he's he's going off the show at this point so like after he loses i think we literally never see him again yep pretty much so i guess it's like whatever you know (laughs) they just just get rid of him just just shoot him if you want to do that shoot him make it dramatic you know like have another shooting and (laughs) sam gets killed oh maybe I, I do want to remark get, on then this. Then you could do the national funeral at, like, <laughs> yeah. Arlington Cemetery. You get that shot, you know? Like, there's well, a, you, you get a lot of good shots out of that. Well, and they, they really try, too, because they have this, like, walking press conference on the beach. Yes. It's, like, the least, sec- the least secure possible location. Well, and also, it's just, like, the dumbest, like, yes, understanding that california has beaches and there are beaches in orange county is just right and he's going out there to like talk up his environmental policy or whatever because he goes like orange county has beautiful beaches and that's why we need to vote to keep them clean blah 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 (laughs) it's just like really (laughs) and i mean uh, just very 2003 pants going on here yeah Yeah, so so many people in early's aughts pants (laughs) on the beach which is very amusing to me uh yeah Anyway, uh, let's take another quick break and then we'll come back and discuss the rest of this episode. So kind of the last um, broader point in the episode is a continuation, which good for them, of Will's work with the speechwriting interns who are, you know, helping him prepare remarks for all these minor government functionaries and surprise he's still kind of being an asshole (laughs) not kind of (laughs) he he is full-on dickhead mode uh he's just being condescending as fuck and he's calling all their work shitty and like they've been up to like four in the morning of course as is classic west wing uh and and he's just shitting all over them well, and he's, he literally says out that he's like, I question your commitment, and I'm thinking of fucking Donnie Darko. To sparkle Questioning motion. your commitment to sparkle motion. Yes. And then he makes a really gross joke, I think to his sister, where it's like, all these girls will be like working, will be vice presidents at Condé Nast or, when they graduate or from their IVs. Yeah, and then goes, oh, sorry. I mean, they'll marry vice presidents at Condé Nast. It's like, yeah, go fuck yourself, Will. Yeah. Like, eat shit. Yeah, just, like, really... Will wasn't sexist before this. Uh, I don't understand why he, he... I don't know. Sorkin only has one way to write someone as an asshole, and it's have them be this yeah. this over-the-top and shitty about it. Um, well, and his, his sister is always, like, around, and it feels like... Sorkin uses that as an excuse for him to be shitty because she can 
sort of defray it by she, yelling. Yeah, at she him. pulls him back in line uh, throughout yeah. this episode by like. But that's that's kind of irritating. Like, yes, yes. Uh, uh, you're are a we ta- man? Yeah, you shouldn't need someone to tell you to not be an asshole. <laughs> and I think the like the the familial relationship is sort of manipulative too because it's understood that they're supposed to be you know close enough that she can be real with them right and it's just like, it's just too easy it's cheap right. uh, but um, it, which is funny because it all gets exposed by a comment made behind his back that one of the intern girls goes yeah your sister was right about you it's like what what'd she say it's like oh she said you were a hard ass <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's like, yeah, but it was like, it was the sweetest hard ass you'll ever meet or, or something like that. Uh, it's like, that doesn't, that doesn't really make it much better when he's like fucking cracking the whip at like four in the morning to these yes. unpaid interns. So the thing that he's also cracking the whip about, and this is me being a little bit of a nitpick, but this no, is no, please. The, it bugged me too. <laughs> this is the fucking, um, the most common misunderstanding that Americans carry around other than being widely racist yes is <laughs> is the concept the, the of concept progressive, of, progressive yeah. taxation and how tax brackets actually work so this whether it's intentional or not is a complete misunderstanding and misrepresentation of that concept because yes. basically will goes to the trouble of drawing out like a diagram of tax brackets and incomes that apply to them mm-hmm. on the thing and if you look through all the calculations and shit it is an incorrect like calculation of what taxes are paid. And the easiest way to describe marginal taxation is that everyone is taxed the same on the same amount of dollars. Correct. So when even, the, make, even the doctor he's showing that gets taxed, quote unquote, 36% does not get taxed that on his first $10,000. Exactly. Like when, when your first tax bracket is 15% up to, I don't know, $10,000, Everybody pays 15% on that $10,000. And it's much lower than that in reality, but we're just using it as an example. But yes, yeah, it's the most... And so everyone thinks that whatever tax bracket their income gets them into, which just shows the highest marginal rate they're paying, they think that's the total rate they pay on all their money. All of their money. It is the most common misconception in America, by far. And I, I imagine it is deliberately... And I mean, even if even if it's just like it's a little a by, by hard virtue. to explain to people in a mass way, but one on one, it's easy enough to understand. It's it's also perpetuated by meme, yes. almost because it is just sort of like this. Everyone just um, understands like, your tax rate and, and, and knows there is a percentage that applies to all the money they pay. And there's this like undercurrent of people misunderstanding and it. It is, it is so true. widespread. You can calculate your tax rate, but you have to do it by applying the marginal brackets. Yes, exactly. And then like you could do that. And if you did it that way, and if Will had done it the correct way, everyone's tax rate on that board should be way lower. Yeah. <laughs> way lower. Yeah. So he's doing the classic, the classic misinformation bit. Uh, it, also, I just want to laugh at the actual raw numbers themselves because yeah. these must have been pre-Bush tax cuts or something. Because oh my god, if the if the if anyone was actually paying thirty-six percent income tax, I, I would love if millionaires were paying forty-one percent. Yeah. Like, Jesus oh my Christ. god. Yeah. The thought of a, no, a tax number over forty percent in this so, country. 
to, to be fair, when you get to an extreme amount of income like that, the original concept reverts to being relatively meaningless because right. the early tax brackets so, only apply right. to a very small amount of Such a of small amount of money is, might as well not matter. Exactly. Correct. But because everybody floats around in that middle range somewhere, it's actually extremely relevant mm-hmm. that people don't, like people are scared and I've had it happen multiple times in my career where people will be like, are you sure you want to take that, that raise. promotion or like you get right. a raise? It'll, it'll bump put you in a different tax bracket. And then you'll lose money and you cannot, yeah. that cannot happen. Short of like sweet, a couple, one in a million odd scenarios. But for 99% of the population, always take more money. It will, will work never, out better for yeah. you. You will, yeah. like the way the tax structures worked, it will almost never ever. Uh, some cases were like, you know, if you're on Medicaid and we'll put you over the Medicaid cutoff, you know, those situations are weird. But for the most part, for your average person, always take the raise. Never buy into that bullshit. It's so frustrating when you hear about people who, who deny income because they, yeah. because they think it's actually going to hurt them. It can't. It really yeah. can't. And, and frankly, like even beyond sort of like the niche case of falling into the Medicaid donut hole or whatever, mm-hmm. it's just like that situation being possible is deeply Wrong. sociopathic. Yes. Like, right. Like that's a conservative wet dream. And, and, and it's like able. a third of the population probably or more even believes it's not only possible, but like they, they have actively taken decisions to, to prevent it, you know, yeah. and yeah. deny themselves free income. It's so stupid. Always take the raise. Yes. Everybody, always, take always raise. take money. Think of it this way. If nothing else, just take the money and then go talk to an accountant and they will figure it out for <laughs> you. Trust me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, pay, pay, pay part of your raise to an yeah, accountant. And, and they, they will, will figure it all out. And up. they will usually they're worth their money and they'll get you more money back than you pay them. Uh, if, if you need that kind of help. Heck, there are people who operate who do that on contingency too, where yeah. they don't get paid if they yeah get until you money they back. they're sure they're going to get you a good chunk of For real chunk of money back. So that's anyway nice. pet anyway peeve tax crusade. Yeah. So aside. yeah, <laughs> anytime they discuss numbers on the show, I mean, I had that whole tirade about Charlie's salary. So obviously For when they real. when they start throwing tax brackets up on the whiteboard, I'm, you bet your ass I'm going to pick it apart. The uh, <laughs> we then we then get sort of like a like a a survey of the sort of perspective and position of the various Laurens in the intern. Oh, group. right. On like what their thoughts on the tax plan are. And like most of them are <sighs> like, it's okay. It's okay. And one was like, well, the doctor went to med school and was like, what, what now? It's like, well, the doctor went to med school. That's why he makes more. And presumably the CEO has certain skills that make him <laughs> worth $16.4 <laughs> million dollars a year. I'm like, what in the fuck are you doing? Why are you standing CEO pay out of nowhere? And to be fair, Will owns her, but in a gendered way, which drives me fucking crazy. Yeah, like, like you can't you just could, own her on the facts. You have you're to. You're so close to being like to literally owning her good, but you have to go with like some gendered the, shitty, some insult. gendered mag, like because he references, he says, um, Republican Vogue, and we all know that Vogue is a magazine for yeah, ladies, for right? Ladies with their dumb lady parts. <sighs> Yeah, Will is just super sexist in this episode. It's just, like, uh, all over. Uh, Speaking of Sorkin sexism, there's another odd brush of it throughout this episode where just, like, we cut to CJ, and she's just, like, wearing cool dresses (laughs) 
and looking hot and like dancing around and it's like out of she's not involved in any of the plots and she's not even having like significant conversations she's just going doing like cha la la cha cha la la and i'm like, like leaning on a desk like a lounge and i'm like, like what in the fuck but also i'm not complaining that much because yeah. after janny's nice looking woman to look yeah, at she- <laughs> and I like watching her dance around and go cha la la. Yeah, <laughs> what the fuck's going on? <laughs> yeah, so I don't know why, but I guess Sorkin just thought it's like ah, throw her in for some eye candy. <laughs> yeah, well, and it all sort of like the the will part like wraps up with them in a just a turbo classic thing. He's just like, well, y'all are actually doing okay thanks to my help, but. You're working unpaid overtime? What? Right, okay, so what happens is they hear about the bombing, the Red Haven on fire bombing, and they were all about to go home after working till, of course, four in the morning again, because this is West Wing, and they hear about the Red Haven bombing, and they all decide to go back to work, and Will's like, Elsie, don't they understand? I said they could go (laughs) home, which is also paternalistic and shitty right there. Like, to be like... it's too, it's lazy. It's writing the words in when you could just show them doing it. Right, and, and then just, he out. could smile. He could just smile. And, yeah. like, we would oh get my it. God. We'd fucking get And it's so much more elegant that way than to have to, like, write the stupid words in. <laughs> yeah. It's so, it'd be so much better if he just saw them get back to work and he looked up and he smiled proudly. And we close on that. Like, and we get it, and we get it, but no, they have to, like, spell it out, like, no, they're gonna keep working even more unpaid overtime, because they're so (laughs) dedicated to you now, Will, because you stopped being an asshole for, like, half a second. Oh. Like, yeah, it's, it is combined, like, Like you did the bare minimum, Will. Congratulations. Well, and it's combining that with also just, it's so lazy like in script writing like why yeah we keep on talking about showing not telling yeah. and this is the worst example of telling it's like, really really bad like just looking at it now like any editor should look at this and be like oh i could fix this scene hang on yeah, like no, cut cut no shit. cut cut all right and it's fixed <laughs> and and honestly like they they take the time to explain like he uses this metaphor the veil of ignorance which is yeah uh, uh, yeah rawls he even calls concept. out rawls yeah and like you could have just taken that, I don't know, 24 words that they exchange and dumped it into that segment and maybe taught the audience something, which you clearly want to do. Mm-hmm. They were trying to teach desire. in the in the tax setting. They're clearly trying to send like an informative message, but it just doesn't come across because they do it so inelegantly. Yeah. God, it's awful. It's really bad. So overall, this episode was pretty poor. You know, stupid imperialism bullshit, dumb shit with the families, dumb shit with Will. Uh, the only good shit was the stuff with Amy, which which all fucking ruled. And um, and then there's some funny bit with Toby and uh, uh, Charlie getting yeah. uh, unbooked uh, or posting <laughs> bail uh, at the uh, TV police station, where, of course, there's always some hot sex workers hanging around. Uh, yep. So you could borrow their cell phone. <laughs> Well, and the joke about, like, oh, Sam, you're the guy who's going to tell me what to do with a call girl. About call girl etiquette, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's pretty good, actually. Yeah, it lands pretty well there. Get but to own Sam like, one more time before he's yeah, gone. <laughs> before he flits away. Get one last forever. good one in, Toby. Good job. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, yeah, let's take another quick break, and then we'll come back and wrap up. feel good. Happy birthday. Happy birthday. 
went to school and I was very nervous No one knew me, no one knew me Hello teacher, tell me what's my lesson Look right through me, look right through me And welcome back. That does it for this episode. Thank you all for joining us. We always appreciate your listens. Uh, any feedback you want to post in either of our threads, uh, or if you want to email the show at theworstwing69 at gmail.com, that would be nice. Nice. And it was nice because we actually got an email from a fan, I think, for the first time. Huzzah! <laughs> he was a... Uh, very complimentary. Thank you for reaching out from across the pond, no less. Um, ah, cheerio. Our, our, our brother idiot country, the UK. <laughs> um, yes, we're both equally stupid in different ways. Isn't it grand? <laughs> so always good to hear from fans. It really means a lot to us, especially. Yeah, like, it really did. This, uh, this really winter is going to be a goddamn shit show. And any positive emotion and energy is really just super exciting to have. So yeah. thank you. So thanks so much. And if, again, if you want to drop the show a line, we would really love to hear from you. Uh, it's theworstwing69 at gmail.com. Nice. So, <laughs> nice. And that will do it for this episode of The Worst Wing. We will see you next time. Bye-bye and stay safe. Bye. Stay safe. all the money you ask for. But don't ask me to come on along.